Welcome to the Gentleman Ultra Podcast. We bring nostalgia, history, and tales from both within and beyond Calcio's four white lines. This is Italian football through our eyes. This is the Gentleman Ultra. So welcome back to the Gentleman Ultra Podcast. It's a new season and this year we have plenty in store for you. We've all enjoyed a summer without Italy at the World Cup, but there's been enough happening behind the scenes and in Syria to give us a lot to talk about. Unlike Juventus, Inter and Milan, we've no need to strengthen our squad, so I'm always pleased to welcome back Luca and Neil. How are you guys? Yeah, good, thanks. Very well, thank you, Richard. I'm just uh, enjoying some sun by the sea at the moment. Yeah, yeah and I'm happy making... birthday, by the way, Luca. <laughs> thank you very much, mate. Yeah, happy birthday, Luca. And I'm baking in the uh, 40 degree plus heat here in Spain. So <laughs> I feel a little left out because I'm only in the mid 20s here, but no matter. <laughs> so we've got a lot to talk about today. I mean, the World Cup without Italy, I think we need to leave that where it is. It's gone, it's in the past. Um, as much of a shame as it was. But there was quite a lot going on, not just in the transfers that have happened which we'll talk about a bit later on, but also something a bit closer to home. And uh, you know, if there's anything that's, you know, obviously close to, to our hearts, it's all about nostalgia and of the Italian football of the 90s and before. And Luca, you went to the opening and did a, a fantastic job with the guys at the newly opened Golazzo Cafe in London. Um, tell us about that event, because I unfortunately couldn't go. I know Neil's logistical issues with being in Spain prevented him also. But I mean, it looked fantastic. Yeah, no, it was it was absolutely brilliant. Um, I've got to say, I guess firstly, um, yeah, thanks to all the guys at Golazio for for having us that evening. Um, it's for anyone who doesn't know already or hasn't seen it on Twitter. It is a new bar which has opened up in London, uh, in Camberwell, southeast London, um, and it is dedicated, as you said, Richard, to nostalgia for '90s Italian football. Hence the name Golazio. Um, which is a kind of a tribute to the owner here, Tim, uh, Tim McGee, who is, um, like all of us, watched Italian football on Channel 4 during the 90s. And he thought the end credits of, the, of this kind of theme tune at the beginning uh, were saying, go Lazio, like a lot of people <laughs> thought, go Lazio, like that. And so the name is, is a tribute to that. Um, and it's just a brilliant, it's a brilliant place for any Italian football fan, uh, whether you watched it in the 90s or not. Um, it has memorabilia, classic shirts, a panini sticker wall, the ceilings lined with um, Gazzetta della Sport from, from the 90s. actually goes chronologically starting from 92, 93 when the show first aired in, in the UK, right through to the 2000s. They've got a massive mural of Gaza and a Lazio shirt, the Banca di Roma shirt. Um, so it's, the, it's almost become the holy grail, I guess, in London <laughs> for people who loved Italian football during the 90s and were brought up um, with that show. And that's why they still follow Italian football today. Um, and so and, a, and aside from that, if you love uh, Italian beers, they've got a range of Italian craft beers. They do pizza by the slice, Pizza Italia, which you don't find as much in London, actually. Um, and those pizzas are all named after famous Italian stadia. So you've got the... Stadio Ennio Tardini, San Siro, uh, the Marassi. Um, so it's no, it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant bar. Um, get down there if you're in the London area. Uh, give them a shout on Twitter. It's Golazio London on Twitter. 
and yeah, the launch night was brilliant. Um, they contacted us about just helping them out and trying to drum up some interest because they saw obviously our, our concepts. The stars aligned almost really for us in terms of the fact that we we were you, Richard. You founded the Gentleman Ultra, the blog, because of your love for your kind of nostalgia for the Italian for Italian football in the nineties, and they did the same. And and yeah, the launch we had Tony Dorigo and Mark Hately there. Um, doing a live Q&A. It was fascinating to speak to them about their experiences in, in Italian football. And just, for, just for, for the listeners, Luca, just from anyone who hasn't uh, heard any of the interviews with, um, you know, with Tony and Mark, tell us just a little bit about some of those experiences that they sort of shared from, from that time period. Yeah, sure. So it was, it was fascinating because you had um, Mark Haitley, who obviously played in the 80s. He joined Milan in 84. And although we always hark back to the 90s as being the golden era of Italian football, I think I pointed out straight away that really Mark Haitley's era was equally as established, equally as, as golden, if you like, for Italian football in terms of the players that were playing there. But also it laid the foundations for the 90s because when, when Mark Haitley joined in 84, and this was one of the first questions I asked him, he joined at the same time as Maradona joined Napoli and Rumaniga joined Inter. And you already had playing in the league, Zico for Udinese, um, Socrates for Fiorentina, the Brazilian Socrates, um, and Platini for Juventus. Mm. So you had all the best players in the world in Italy already. You already had the teams paying big money. Um, and I asked him, what, what was it like to join a league where you had ev- all the best players? You'd come from Portsmouth, a second division club, and into a Milan side who were a far cry from the Milan side of the, for the late 80s, early 90s with Capello and Saki. Um, they were in a rebuilding phase after having um, been embroiled in the Totonero um, kind of mm-hmm. and they were relegated in 1980, came back up, struggled, were relegated again. And then Mark Haitley's first year is actually the first year they were back in Serie A. Um, but he said that, that his side really were the, the side that laid the foundations for the, for the Berlusconi era because you had the young defenders coming through, Baresi, Maldini, Tassotti, Costa Corta, all coming through. Um, you had the other Englishman, Ray Wilkins, obviously, who moved over with Mark Haitley. Um, so it was a team that laid the foundations. And his experience of Serie A was, was similar to what 90s English players, when English players went over in the 90s, it was a similar experience because it was the, still, again, the best league in Europe at that time. Um, but he told some brilliant stories about battles he had with certain players he told one about Passarella um, the Argentine defender being the nastiest player he'd ever played against when he played for Fiorentina how he was consistently mm-hmm. spitting in Mark Haley's face during the game and every time he did so he'd turn around to Mark Haley and go that was me I spat in your face that was me <laughs> um, and then Mark Haley from a corner ended up getting his uh, revenge by slightly mistiming a jump and um, let's say head heading Passarella's head instead of the ball. Accidentally, um, exactly. Uh, we would say accidentally, but it was um, it was a bit of a sweet revenge, as Mark said. <laughs> and he said that Passarella was completely cold, cold on the floor, knocked out. And he came to, and Mark Haley just leant over and went, "That was me. I did that. That was me." <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it was a brilliant story. And as for Tony Dorigo, he played for Torino in the nineties. Not in Serie A, in Serie B after they'd just been relegated, but they were still they're still obviously a massive club and they, they were chucking money at, at the side to try and get back up into Serie A. And again, he said it, it was fascinating listening to him because he played with um, 
Lentini in, at Torino. Yes, he would have done, wouldn't he? Was... Lentini went back to Torino um, to, to, to where, he, where he first obviously made his name. And, um, and he also played with Clavero as well. Um, the centre half, kind of no nonsense centre half, and actually, um, Tony said that he was one of the best players he's, he's played with in terms of uh, a defender. Um, but yeah, they spoke about the differences in culture, the training regimes, the science behind um, Italian football, and why Italian clubs were so far ahead—not just financially, but um, also in their training methods and scientifically during that era. And, and they have brilliant stories to tell. Uh, played against brilliant players, played under or against brilliant coaches. So it really captured why we all love Italian football and, and they were brilliant guests and the audience were great as well, asking some great questions. So, I mean, yeah, the interviews are, you can actually listen to some of the interviews, I think on Twitter, um, Golazio London, Emma, who promotes the bar, put them up on Twitter, a live, a live feed. So if you search them on, on Twitter and Golazio London, I'm sure you can find them. But yeah, it was, a, it was a great evening. And as I said to them, we'll have to do something again there soon with, with the Gentleman Ultra because it is a match made in heaven, really. Absolutely. No, it, it really looks like that. I mean, from, you know, I for one will be getting myself down there as soon as possible. And uh, I think anyone who's, you know, taken the time to actually listen to this podcast and to, to tune in to listen to us talk, I think that ultimately that is another place that you guys would also, you know, have to check out. I, I know Neil probably does a question for you as well, but I just want to ask one thing. Every time, I think the Twitter, when they tweet out what they're doing in that day, every single day they tweet something and it makes me want to be there because they're always asking, they're saying, you know, today we've got Lazio Sampdoria, you know, and they've got the games on. Now, I'm sad enough to go through YouTube and try and watch as many of the games from back in the 90s that, that are on. Where do they get the footage from? Because right, every single time they, they pull out some games and I'm just mesmerised as to where they got it. Mm, yeah, on Friday night I was there for my birthday and they had, um, well, they had Italy-Brazil on from the, I can't remember what year it was. I think it was the, do you remember the tournament that preceded the 1998 World Cup, the Tour de... Tournoi. Tournoi, that's it, yeah. Roberto Garza's free kick. Exactly, exactly. They had an Italy-Brazil game for, um, from that tournament. And then afterwards they had Milan-Sampdoria with um, Sampdoria of Lombardo playing. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, like you say, they just seem to have different games every day from that nineties era. Yeah, there, there is a there is an online database, like a, a website. I can't remember what it's called now. I've got it saved in my bookmark somewhere, um, where someone's like um, curated all these old um, games, um, and you can um, you can go on there and just you know put in whichever team you want to watch, whatever year, and it will throw up games from that year and you can watch the full 90 minutes. Um, I can't remember. I mean, if we can um, find the uh, the link for it, we'll, we'll pop it up on Twitter. Um, but yeah, if anyone wants to go and watch old games, I think that's the place to, to go and do it. I can't remember the name of the uh, the website off the top of my head, though. So, But I don't know if that's where the bar's getting them from, but um, I hope you can find that. resource out there. <laughs> I'll certainly be using that if you can find that. And yeah, like you say, we'll put it up on on the Twitter, but yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll check it's you know all legitimate first. Put it up on the Twitter after this, Neil. Yeah, I'm sure it is because I mean it's it's like you know where people have recorded games that they've um, you know archived and stuff like that. You know, so she might she might end up watching a you know an old 1989 you know Milan Fiorentina game with French commentary or something like that. It's, you know, there's loads of uh, from, from all over the place. So, but yeah, I'll dig it out and uh, we'll get it up there. Now, good stuff. You, 
I don't know if you want to ask anything about that Neil, before we move on. Or I, I know. No, I just, um, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to, you know, get get over there at some point myself and give, you know, visit the place. So um, it just, like Lucas said, everything seemed to, you know, align when when this came to our attention. You know, we, mm. obviously, obviously the nature of the site and everything. But um, you know, and recently, just before you know, we found out about the the bar, we'd been looking at. Um, you know, we've done the podcast about Ray Wilkins in the 80s um, and, you know, we've done a lot of articles and, you know, I, I'm particularly interested in some of the historical stuff of, you know, English players playing in, in Italy mm. and, you know, we've done the stuff about the, the golden eras of the 50s where, you know, everyone was going over there and I think Luca's right, the 80s was, was similar because uh, we just didn't have the, you know, TV access to it in, in the UK but it, it was, a, was a great era and, you know, after we'd done the Ray Wilkins piece recently, it was really good to hear, you know, the, you know, from from the mouths of the players themselves, um, Mark Haitley, uh, you know, uh, describing his experiences during that era, um, and I, you know, I feel a bit sorry for for the, Tim, the guy that owns the bar, because I think he's going to spend the next um, several years of his life explaining the name to people, because um, <laughs> people get saying you've spelt it wrong, and <laughs> you know, and it, 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 it is a play on words. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, I'm looking for, hoping to get over in um, at some point in October. So if that is the case, then maybe we'll we'll arrange a, a meet up with um, you know a, a few of the gentleman ultra guys and anyone else who wants to come along. Um, so yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, uh, yeah, and maybe do a pod from there at some point. And then in the future, hopefully, you know, a, a, a gentleman ultra event or something where we can get some more guests along. That'd be good. I mean, I think I think the big, the biggest thing for me is and why I'm so pleased for those guys opening that is just. Sometimes, I mean, you guys know what it's like. You you can be doing these articles and doing, especially when you're doing the research for some, and you think, well, I've I've certainly thought over the past. You know, it's like uh, you feel a bit mad sometimes. Why are so transfixed over this sort of era of Italian football? And just to see that obviously there is so many people who just, as we said before, however small or however great, have that sort of same feeling for that era. It's um, you know, it, it's good to see that somewhere somewhere like that can open and. Uh, and be as popular as it is. So, yeah, we wish them the best for that. And talking of, I suppose, it's in a sort of seamless link-ish, uh, sort of, you know, brilliant era of the 90s when we saw so many players, Ronaldo, De Batistutas, etc. We mentioned Lentini before, some big money transfers. We've had it again. It's, it's a bit of a strange summer, isn't it? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but you hear links for Cristiano Ronaldo and before and you've heard him say may return to Manchester United and they just they just wash over your head and you think even the Juventus link at first seemed it's impossible and then next thing we've had Ronaldo uh, the move with Higuain actually staying uh, in the league and going to Milan you know Inter haven't been quiet in, in what they've been doing and there's been some big names coming over and I think Neil you, you wrote a piece that uh, I'm really proud to say was actually in the uh, the Guardian newspaper itself um, about this this summer and whilst Ronaldo obviously was signed for Juventus, there's been an also an underlying thing of Italian football that's been missed maybe a little bit because there have been some situations with some other clubs like Bari for instance who have had slightly different time. But I mean, what you Neil? What's your take on this summer? I mean, it re- is it really the haves and the have-nots? Is this Italian football being back or is it? a smokescreen, really, to what's going on in the wider situation in Italian football. Yeah, I mean, it's a complex situation. Um, I mean, it's very easy just to say, oh, brilliant, you know, Ronaldo signed for Juventus. This is going to, you know, bring Italian football, you know, back to the heady heights of the 90s. Um, 
or whatever. But you know, it's um, the, the article that was in the Guardian you know, highlighted, you know, the fact that other clubs are still struggling. Um, we, you know, we, we mentioned in that article about Bari and uh, Chesena, who had both, uh, you know, ended up being declared bankrupt and, and coming out of the league. Um, and you know, people kind of get used to, oh, it's just another Italian club, you know, because it, it does happen a lot, and it's um, you kind of become immune to it. These clubs going mm-hmm. under. Um, you know, but for a club like Bari, it's you know, it, it's never happened to them before. It, you know, it's 110 years of, uh, of of history gone. So it, you know, it's a, an important subject, and I think uh, you know it did get lost a bit in in the whole uh, uh, Ronaldo situation. I mean, in in terms of the the transfer itself, obviously, you, you have to look at it in a positive light. Uh, anything that you know brings a spotlight onto Syria and Italian football is welcome. Um, you know, the more people around the world that watch the league. You know, it's got to benefit in some way. It's just ha- what happens after that. You know, you get more attention. Um, I mean, Ronaldo himself. You know, he's a player that. You know, it's probably the first of an era where where a player himself has fans. You know, there's people that follow Ronaldo that don't necessarily follow a club. I think he had something like you know, seventy million followers on Twitter, and think more, more followers than than Real Madrid. You know, it's a crazy situation where this player has so much, um, you know, appeal. Um, so that will bring attention to the league. Um, that's gonna you know have a knock-on effect with TV money and advertising, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, beyond that, you then get players that maybe would leave Syria as soon as they got to a certain level, and you know that would then. You know, are now going to stay in the league because maybe there'll be some more money. It'll be more competitive and more 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 focus on the league, uh, and more you know more signings arriving. I mean, we've had you know rumours of Luka Modric, you know among among others. Um, you know that v- Vidal situation didn't happen because uh, Barcelona stepped in and and, and uh, hijacked that deal. But uh, you know, but once the money comes in, what happens then? I mean. Uh, does it go? <laughs> I mean, the other side to this situation where you've got clubs struggling is the owners. You know, you, you need responsible owners. Um, you need the FA or, you know, the, the, the Italian FA, the FIGC to be, you know, making sure that the owners are acting uh, in a responsible manner. Um, there's too many situations where, you know, money's going missing and people are ending up being tried for fraud and, you know, other situations. Um just could you not argue on that basis? Sorry to interject, but could you not argue though on this basis that I mean I'm going to just sit on the fence here in a sense, but hasn't it always been like this? You know, we talk. Yeah, I mean that's what I'm saying. I mean, I'm, yeah. there's a lot of people saying this is going to be the solution, and the answer, not, you know, I think you know it's not as clear cut as that. Mm-hmm. I mean, all these things going on under the surface have gone on. They went on in the 90s. You know, when when everyone says, oh, it's Napoli, Fiorentina. Yeah, all the money was there, and I think the players were coming, but there were still these clubs having these situations, still these owners not acting the way they should. Um, you know, and then beyond the owners, you've then got the local authorities who, you know, in Italy they need to do more to work with the clubs, you know, and grasp the importance of the clubs to the communities. You know, Bari is a, a clear, clear example of that. Um, and so it's it's not just a case of great. Um, Ronaldo signed. Everything's going to be solved because you know it goes beyond mm. that. And then, then the stadium stadium ownership situation. I mean, how many Syria Syria clubs own their stadiums at the moment? I think it's still maximum of three or four. You know, it's it's mm. a good situation and not a viable situation for clubs to be sustainable. I mean, we, we're we're at the situation where clubs like that need to stay in Syria to survive. You know, as soon as they drop out, they're on the knife edge, and then it's a case of you know, do they spend the money to try and get back or do they? act a bit more conservative to try and 
you know in not put themselves in financial jeopardy and it's a it's a real balancing act so yeah i mean it, it, i don't think it's going to be an overnight solution the the people that will benefit um straight away obviously are juventus um the shareholders uh, everyone involved in the club there is is going to you know benefit um yeah prov- and hopefully ronaldo will perform um and uh, everyone will start watching italian football again but you know like you said it, it's it's always been there um it's just another case of you know this time will it will it really really um benefit the league and the clubs you know down the ladder as well taking the bari i think this is really really good point sir and taking the bari situation i mean let's let's look at that one just for the sake of the fact of you know we everyone's kind of had a little soft spot for bari with david platt and the great stadium that never really seemed to you know, <laughs> never always have its um, you know capacity full. And there, what's this situation? I find very strange, though. And Bari obviously have been relegated, as we know. And then you have the situation where the ownership has gone primarily to the local mayor of the city, who then has to distribute and find almost like a protector or guardian of this club. And bizarrely, you get Napoli de Laurentiis. And Claudio Latito fighting over Bari when they already have clubs of their own. And arguably, you know, when you look at, you could argue that Latito could potentially put more money into Lazio's squad. You could argue that potentially the San, well, this is going into a whole different issue if you talk about San Paolo and how archaic that is. But you could argue that there's different sections of those teams that need potentially more money putting in. So what's the motivation then? And what's this system really trying to achieve by having these protectorates of, whether in Bari's case, De Laurentiis now? Um, and is it nothing more than almost like, um, it's almost like a venture capitalist move of what, what, what does he do now? Does he put some money in to get the club back into some sort of shape, get it back at the leads and sell it? Is that, li- is that what this is about now? Or, I mean, I find that situation quite strange. I mean, don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I mean that's a question again that time will tell on that. I mean, you're right about the, you know the, the situation where I think you know like like with businesses, you know, people sort of wait till the business goes under and then you know they step in at that point when uh, you know the debts are have been written off or whatever, and 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 they you know try and make a go of it with the intention of making money at the end of the day. But um, um, I, it's hard to see what the um, motivation is. I mean, because with uh, the case of De Laurentiis, he's you know he's you know he's risking the <laughs> angering his his fans at Napoli. Um, we've already seen a lot of that, and um, the reaction's not been good. Um, there's been banners all over the city um, asking him, to, you know, to show a bit more respect. Um, and uh, you know, I'm not sure what the motivation is there. If if it's a football motivation, I mean, he seems like he seems like a football guy. You know, obviously there's money involved, but he seems like a guy that cares about football. I mean, is has he? got a vested interest in you know bringing uh you know the south of italy in particular i mean there's that, that situation as well where having bari and napoli back at the top it will be good for that region um uh, you know there's always been this kind of uh, political north south divide in uh, syria so um i think there's probably several motivations there i don't you know think it's purely about money i think he sees it as a challenge as well and and you know and uh, after what he did at napoli um you know, Bari fans are obviously uh, very optimistic at this stage. I mean, some some more cautiously than others, but uh, 
Uh, I don't know. What, what's your opinion on that, Luca? Yeah, I, I, I agree with a lot of the points you, you've made there, Neil. I think there's a number of factors uh, that have come into play. Um, one being that, obviously, De Laurentiis has got experience of taking a club which has been reduced to its bare bones, almost like okay, Napoli didn't go down to Serie D, uh, but they went all the way down to then Serie C, um, the third tier of Italian football. Um, he came in, rebuilt the club, um, bought in a, a reasonably, I guess, financially uh, secure model compared to the previous ownership. And Napoli obviously now find themselves at the top tier of Italian football again. So obviously, he's, as you said, he sees it maybe as a bit of a challenge and that he has experience in dealing with um, this kind of scenario and can return Bari, can bring Bari back up the leagues. I think also you made a good point about a certain pride in, in wanting to restore what is one of the big clubs of the South. I mean, Napoli is the biggest, uh, but Bari certainly historically um, have rivaled Napoli in terms of size and, and their fan base is, is, is huge. And as you said, it's a huge club in the community um, of Kulia. So certainly I think there's also that element of we can't, let, I guess, in another scenario happen where the northern clubs completely dominate Italian football again. You have evidence that Inter, Juve and, and Milan are all making moves, big moves this summer. And it, there's a danger that they will run away uh, with things. Obviously, Napoli um, and Roma have been keeping that in check over recent years and, and been competing at the top. Uh, but they have been significantly outspending there. And I know Rome isn't technically... You know, it wouldn't be classed as Romans wouldn't class themselves as Southerners, but they've been um, significantly outspent now in the last couple of windows by the Northern clubs. Mm -hmm. So I think there's definitely that element there as well of, of wanting to restore some pride um, in southern in southern football, if you like, in Italy. Um, so that's certainly play, playing into as a factor. But um, I, I'm not sure how. As you mentioned, Neil, with De Laurentiis, obviously, already there's already question marks about his ownership of Napoli, rightly or wrongly. Um, I think he's obviously done some fantastic work there to bring the club to where it is now, where they were seriously challenging for the Scudetto last year. Um, and we've got to remember that I think it was 2008 that they were in Serie C in the third, in the third tier. So where they've come in 10 years, is where they've arrived is quite incredible. And I think Napoli, some Napoli fans, although it's... You know, I can't really judge because I'm not an Napoli fan myself or a little quick to criticise De Laurentiis. But I understand their frustration now because now they are at the top tier. You want to see them carry on investing. You want them to see them sorting out the stadium situation or trying to come to some solution um, to do with that. And so I think it's, it's a tough one, but certainly it won't please Napoli fans that that could prove a distraction. Yeah, because he's also walking into a situation where he's going to have a similar issue with uh, with the stadium in, in Bari, and uh, you know, and a conflict of interest potentially should he bring them back up, um, which I think you know um, there's going to be you know, some some issues arising there if he does uh, you know bring them back up, especially if obviously if they get back to Syria. He can't own them, can he? You can he can only own them to Syria B, and then he has to sell them to Syria. Yeah, it would be unless he gets the rules changed in the meantime. <laughs> I mean, if if he owned, I mean, if it worked out like that and they came back up to say 
Serie C and then Serie B. And then his plan was to sell to financially viable owners. Um, yeah. Then perhaps the model, the, the blueprint could work and it could be a, a good solution for Bari. But it's for Napoli fans, it's okay in that time period. How much does De Laurentiis have to invest? How much time is going to be consumed with this side project? And and to what extent does that side project then become a serious distraction from obviously what is at the moment, even though uh, Inter and Milan are spending more money, the second biggest club in Italy? Yeah, I think I think that's the problem. Yeah. I think I think long term, if the, the, the plan it, it does make sense, if he was to put a certain amount of money into to Bari, as you said, the fan base and the way, and almost following that model of how um, you know he got Napoli back up, that if in a few well five six years time he's in a position to sell off that club and make a serious profit, he could then reinvest that into Napoli. But I think again, like you say, it's frustrating for Napoli fans in some respects, and whether it's short termism or not. You look across and you think, well, even obviously Juventus now, they're not even concerned almost about City. Ah, they're, they're, you know, for me, the, the signings of Benucci back and Ronaldo is they want the Champions League and they want it now. It, it's, that's, that's the levels they're at at this moment in time. And obviously, for sure, you know, yeah. Milan massively strengthened after um, with Higuain coming across. And also, you know, what looked like a bad summer is looking to, <laughs> they're looking to come out the other side of it in a lot of better, better position long term. Um, and Inter, of course, you know, they've really strengthened as well. And it does feel like a bit of a power shift because arguably Roma, you know, what they've had. Uh, I, I don't know. Roma's summer is interesting because they've got some really good young players. But again, you know, they have had two huge losses um, for them as well mm-hmm. in Nianglan and, and Alisson. So you, it's frustrating for Napoli in one respect because there is an opportunity here to maybe push on and really try and cement that second, second place. Um, but you know, is this going to be a distraction? It's, yeah, it's you make a good you make a good point there, Richard. That you know, because he's done it before, he kind of has a blueprint. So you know, it, it's not maybe going to be as difficult as it was with Napoli um, if he's just you know going to replicate um, you know what he did there. Maybe he can you know he's got a team in mind to put in place to 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 deal with it. But I mean, it's going to take you know, some of his time and, and, and some of his attention, but probably not so much as it did first time round with Napoli. Now he's got that sort of blueprint of how, you know, how to achieve this. So, yeah. mm. we've, seen, we've seen with big clubs who have gone down, who have big fan bases, that it's possible to return and to return quickly. Obviously, Palmer being, being their most famous example now. But when a club has a big fan base and the community gets behind the club, um, if, if the ownership has a model, has a blueprint, as we've said, to return. It's possible um, to do it reasonably efficiently. Um, but I think uh, just to return to the point of this kind of north-south um, divide in Italian football, it does have a feeling, as it was in the 90s, that this the northern triumvirate, if you like, the big three, are looking to monopolise things again mm-hmm. in the market and in terms of the finances, not just transfers but also you know the tv deals and 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 the sponsorship and the branding that's going to be coming their way with signing these kind of players it's not it's going to be unrivaled and and obviously in the 90s milan and juve and, and before that into what obviously won a scudetto and then in the late 80s which which uh, richard you'll be able to tell me the year now with uh, with the german trio 89 
there you go. Um, and so, you know, you had complete dominance then from Milan, Juve, and then Inter. So it, it just has that feeling of going that way, kind of creeping that way again, but we'll obviously see. Absolutely. And yeah. one thing we should probably be aware of as well, because obviously next season there's going to be obviously huge interest, as we said, and the Ronaldo factor is not going to go away whether we like it or not. Um, you know, we've talked about all the, the players that are, are coming into the, into the league and you know, it's, it's going to be fairly exciting, I would have said. But we're in the UK anyway, and I know this uh, you're quite lucky here, Neil, because this isn't going to affect you as much, but we're in a situation now where it feels like you're entering a bit of a new era because neither Sky Sports nor BT Sports have um, remained, well, got the rights to Italian football. Sky Sports also uh, have not got the uh, Spanish football either. So there's a company, Eleven Sports, uh, who's a digital platform, who has got the rights. And it's going to be pretty interesting because we've seen so many times that uh, how we consume our football is just constantly, constantly changing. Uh, the world of social media. I mean, when we talk back to these days, like the whole start of this conversation, Italian football used to be on Channel 4. That was it. You saw one game, you saw a highlight show, and that was it. And we thought we were the luckiest people in the world. We've come a long way from then into the million different ways we consume and watch football and learn about football. And it seems as though everybody, anyone can, you know, has seen every single player play. You know, there's no mysteries anymore, hardly. And now we're entering um, probably a new era where we're supposed to watch Italian football on a digital platform. And I mean, I just want to know, what you guys think of that? Is that something that we just need to embrace because it's the future of um, how we we're going to watch football? When you go into Sky Q in the UK, you can watch digital channels like Copper 90 or on YouTube. Will it be on there? Is that how we're going to look at it? We've heard that they're looking at potentially doing a deal with whether it's Virgin or BT to sell games. And my questions there would be, is that just the big games? So, I mean... Am I just antiquated in thinking I want a TV channel where I can press and watch the football? Or is it something that we just should embrace? And this is this is the start of how we will watch football now. <laughs> um, I mean, I'll go first on that one because, uh, it's, like you say, it's not going to affect me in terms of the 11 sport. But, um, you know, I, I already consume football in a, in a similar way over here in Spain because, um, you know, the Italian football here is on uh, being sports. Um and uh, I guess this is a taste of what you guys are going to be getting. I don't know how, how many games they're going to be showing. But, um, I mean, basically, I mean, yeah, media is changing. Um, the way we consume it and the way it's broadcast, um, the technology behind it, um, uh, you know, and the way it's going now with um, internet and um, streaming services, um, you know, companies are should be able to, in theory, offer a cheaper service. I mean, the cost of um, broadcasting in this way should go down. Um, but, I mean, the way the way I watch it here, you, you say you want to just sit down, put, turn the telly on and, and watch the game. I mean, that, that's exactly what we do with, with, with being sports. You know, it's all done via online streaming. Um, but you just put the app on the smart TV, click on it, you know, choose the game and watch it. Um, you know, and we get to watch um, quite a lot of uh, Serie A coverage over here. Um, the league is always also on there um a couple of games are on you know on the on the pay other pay channels as well some of the bigger games but there's a lot of la liga games on there dutch football german football brazilian football portuguese football i mean the choice is just endless and um you know i'm paying less than 10 euros a month um for this service and then you know if you're out and about you can 
get it on the app, on the tablet, um, on the laptop, uh, and watch it wherever you are. So it's the future. I mean, it's not going to stop you uh, putting your feet up in front of your, um, I don't know how big your telly is, Richard. I guess about 50 inches, I should imagine. Um, <laughs> See my television. <laughs> and with your surround. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah i mean it's it's not going to change it i mean once once you get used to the, the new the new way of consuming it it's just it's just the same really but i think um 11 sports seem to be maybe taking that to another level because they are you know probably gonna you know sell on a lot of the games as well i think i mean they're they're, they're in discussions to do that so you might find that you'll get you know the bigger games on on 11 sport but you might still have access to some of the to some of the other games elsewhere depending on what they agree um uh, i think the most important thing behind all this is you know over the last 10 years the cost of watching football for for the average fan whether it's at the stadium or at home has just been going up and up and up and up and i think um you know it's reached a level where it's you know it's it's ridiculous and it's you know taking been taking it, fans for a bit of a, a ride good, in terms of cost that, really, that's a really know, good point can i just i don't know, yeah but for yeah. instance i mean we know at the moment that 11 sports are offering a season pass for 49.99 and i'm not advertising for them by the way because i'm going to talk about other things as well i'm just saying that's what yeah. their cost is at this moment in time and you compare that to what the bt subscription is per month I just, I, which which yeah. I, I think is upwards of 30 to 40 pounds i think if you do that, yeah it's staggering, staggering. i mean it's it, and now you know we have lost a lot of the the channels you know the european football show is gone there's loads of different elements to it which you don't get now which which added value to it which are taken away. Yeah. And, and when you look at it, and you make a really good point as well about the app, if they've got a... Re- now, the one thing BT have done really well, they have a really good app that you can go and watch the games yeah. on your iPad and your phone. And that's fantastic. If 11 Sports can mirror that app, which I'm sure they will, and like you say, you have mm-hmm. something on your digital channel where you edit an app you can go to on smart television, then you're getting that same product for every one twelfth of the price. Just a ridiculous yeah and i think that's what's needed and i think if you know providing the service is good enough i mean it it doesn't straight away it doesn't have to be as good as what you've had in the past in terms of you know pitch quality and stuff like that but you know online streaming now has come a long way you can get hd quality um you know if and if the overall experience is acceptable people will happily pay a lot less money you know if it's saving people money and and allowing more people to watch watch the games and i think that's the way things are heading and uh you know whether this company you know whether that's their intention is to you know make everything more affordable remains to be seen but that's you know seems to be the early indications that that's the way it's going and like i say the amount the amount of football i can consume here for for you know less than 10 euros a month is is incredible compared to say five five years ago 10 years ago um so yeah it seems to be heading that way which is good news for fans i say providing the service is acceptable um you know and you know the the punditry and everything else that goes along with it um and the commentary um, i think people will be will be happy once they get used to consuming it in a new way um the other issue i I guess for 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 anyone who's a fan of a particular league like Serie A or La Liga is, you know, you, you want to know how many games and am I going to get to watch, you know, or, or am I just going to be forced fed the Juventus every week? So that's the other question as well. So Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the indications are that they'll be showing you quite a few options. But uh, so what about you, Luke? I mean, are you, are you with Neil on this and, you know, ready to consume your football in a completely new way and consistently new way? Or, you know, are you still wanting to put, old television back up and uh, wanting something on a Sunday on Channel 4 that you're going to put on a VHS and record it? 
<laughs> Look, if you offered me now um, Channel 4 coverage of James Richardson... That's what I'm going to ask. That's exactly what I'm going to do now to both of you. Channel 4, Football Italia, with James Richardson, only him, no one else, and maybe a couple yep. of English players popping on again. You have your Saturday and Sunday show, and that's it. Oh, or that's 11 that's Sports with Elder Games. I don't even need to hear the other option. I'd snap your hand off for that again. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I would absolutely love a return to that coverage. I, I mean, I guess, yeah, now we're used to being able to watch basically any game and every game we want at whatever time we want because of the new way of consuming football in terms of these streaming platforms. Um, I don't know. I see, I see it two ways. Um, first of all, I know, I, as I read today, I think that 11 Sports are going to be offering 25 games across the leagues how they distribute that and break that up, I think, is down to their discretion. But I think they're showing potentially three or four leagues. So it could be in as much as five Serie A games a week. How many were BT doing, realistically? They, <laughs> three or four, maybe max. Yeah, potentially. The Sunday morning game. So they're three and a... Then again, it was across different channels, in fairness. So I actually think you could have... Because there used to be one on ESPN now and again. So you could have... True. Born a Sunday at times, so maybe it would be about five, six at max. Yeah, I think I don't think the number of games will drastically change um, in terms of Serie A viewing with with eleven sports. Um, I think I agree with Neil. Uh, the times are changing. People are used to now watching. I think the new way of watching football. If you look at people posting on journalists, posting on Twitter and people who write about football, they've got three or four different screens on at one time. They're watching three or four different games from either Italy or different leagues. So the way of viewing football has completely changed. The days of just sitting through one match in front of a TV uh, for 90 minutes is becoming uh, rare now, apart from a big Champions League final or World Cup final or the big games. Um, we no longer really consume football like that. And the new generation are also, I would argue, and it might be generalising, but a little less, they, they want to see the action um, and a little less willing maybe to watch the whole 90 minutes. And this is why you've got these highlights packages. And I'm sure 11 Sports will do something similar as what BT Sports have done, as you said, Richard. And you've, you've got all the highlights available where the match is compressed into a nice five-minute um, highlights package. Um, but I see 11 Sports as an opportunity, as, as a clean slate, because there's a lot that they could do with um, with the Serie A coverage and the Liga coverage. You know, you had BT Sport doing the European Football Show, which was discontinued last season. You had La Liga doing something similar, um, Revista de la Liga on, on Sky Sports. You know, if they introduce shows like that to supplement coverage, you know, whether that be highlight show or roundup show, um, that kind of thing, which would supplement the Serie A coverage, which they could do. We don't know their plans in terms of additional coverage of the leagues. Um, then I think it could be a good chance to to start a new era for these leagues and and the means of covering them. Uh, so I see it as a clean slate because I don't think we know enough yet. We know obviously how much the package will cost and we know roughly how many games they're going to show across the leagues. And I guess that will change. That will be where the big games are at during the week. Uh, etc. Hopefully the coverage won't be monopolised by Juventus but because Ronaldo's gone there now I don't envisage a situation where they won't be showing the Juventus game during the week. I imagine available every week. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's, a, it's an opportunity to see 
whether maybe we can they can bring some some innovation to the Serie A coverage or or they have some, some quirks that we didn't have with BT Sport um, in terms of how they're covering things outside the live football as well. Um, so I'm quite interested to see how it how it moves forward. And obviously with the selling the right, with selling certain games to, I don't know, BT Sport or Virgin, um, you know, or um, even Sky, um, I guess big games, it is likely that they'll look to sell those games because of the, the, the viewing numbers and the money that can be made. And obviously that the price is, is a lot more reasonable, as you mentioned, uh, both of you mentioned for 11 sports. Obviously the TV deals, the TV rights were benefiting the clubs but as Neil mentioned, it wasn't benefiting the fans and the fans were being priced down. That is a major issue in Italy because you stadiums, you're hard pushed to fill stadiums as it is. Now you're hearing stories that Kiev are charging 100 euros for a ticket against Juventus now. Okay. Going to, some people are going to turn up. Cristiano Ronaldo fans are going to turn up. But Kiev fans, you know, the small ultra group north side, I highly doubt are going to be that bothered about Cristiano Ronaldo playing they yeah. just want to watch the club that they love and suddenly they, they've got to pay 80 euros for a ticket in the Curva where, it's, where the facilities are quite frankly awful so yeah. it's not that in that sense the, the, these deals still aren't benefiting the fans and a, a move like Ronaldo's to Serie A isn't necessarily it's not benefiting the average Italian fan who watches their club week in week out well, I've got one question for you on that because I think it's a really, really good point. And you're right in that it has to be beneficial for, for the fans to consume those games and to keep that level of interest up. And But one question would be, well, are we going to be in a situation where people have, you know, 11 sports, in, just using this as an example, because I'm sure this will be the start of things to come in, in other countries as well. And like you say, Neil, he's already doing it in Spain. Would we have a situation where... I, from an Inter perspective, perhaps, if I want to watch Inter versus Frosinone, I'm going to look and see if it's only 11 sports and it's on. But then all of a sudden, the Milan derby's on the next weekend. But would that just be on, say, for instance, BT Sport? So would you actually now have to keep two platforms going? Mm. Or, or, you know, do you see what I'm trying to say? So could we end up with a Yeah, that's potentially the case. If you want to watch the Glamour games, you want to watch Cristiano try and tear you know, Sassuolo apart, well, then it's on 11 sports. But if you want to see him play against, you know, in the Turin derby, well, I'm afraid that's on BT or Virgin now. I think what will happen um, down the line, is, I mean, you know, similar situation here occasionally. Um, I mean, we've got the, the, the big pay channel here is uh, Movistar in, in Spain, and they will occasionally have the, the, big, the bigger games, like the, real, the El Clasico or, or some of the, 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 the bigger Spanish games. Um, but I think what will happen eventually, and it's starting to happen, is you'll then get the option to maybe buy that game separately for your eleven sport package. Um, so you know, yeah. So it, it, you know, I think we're going to head head that way. Maybe that you know the the bigger companies will still you know, grab the glamour games, but you might still have the option to to you know have that as a separate deal, or they might have an add on where you pay an extra you know five euros a month or five pounds a month or whatever um but that gives you access to the the other games as well um so uh, you know i'm sure it's a new era so it's gonna it's gonna be little trials and experimentation and, and stuff but uh 
I think eventually, I mean, the, the prob one of the other problems as well as cost is, you know, having to maintain several packages. And that's what, you know, what really makes it um, prohibitive to many people is, you know, oh, but if I get rid of Sky, am I going to lose that? If, if I, if I want to watch La Liga and Italian football, I need Sky and BT Sport. And it's always been this, you know, where do I, where do I put my money? Where, where do I put my commitment to, to the finances behind watching football? Um, so, yeah, I, th I think the, the, the end game in all this is to make it easier for the, for the consumers. And, you know, if, if people can watch football for less than £10 a month, um, they'll have more money to go and watch games as well, live games. I mean, that's another problem is, you know, getting people back in the stadiums. And you think, well, you know, if they can watch it at home cheap, why would they go to the stadium? But one of the reasons they don't go to the stadiums is because of cost again. So yeah. if people have got more, cons you know, disposable income because they're, you know, their, their viewing costs have gone down at home. They might go to more games as well and you know, watch live football again. So, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes. It's a it's a new era and it's hard to predict where it's going to head. Mm. You're right. You're certainly right. I think new era, new season. So I think, well, it's exciting times. And I think with that, we'll we'll call it a day today. So what have we learned? I take it from today. I, what I think we all go down to Golazzo Cafe, ask them to fire up 11 sports and put a Bari game on. <laughs> yeah. that's actually a good just to finish on on a point that just popped into my head um about and it kind of covers what we've talked about in terms of uh, the problems in lower league italian football tv rights but these tv deals 11 sports the, the as we said the big clubs in Serie A benefit but is there that trickle down effect that, that is desperately need in Italian football to prevent situations that we've got in Serie B where today or yesterday, sorry, the English Championship, the second tier began and in Italy you still don't have enough teams to, to meet the quota of the 22 sides in Serie B because you've got three teams who have gone down, have been bankrupt and have been rejected their licences to compete in Serie B. Mm. Still got a situation where clubs are in a lottery or are almost bidding to be promoted up to Serie B. Um, last I heard, it's going to be Catania and Novara, the two of the clubs. And then the third is between Ternana, Siena, and I think one other club. Um, Provercelli. Exactly, Provercelli. Okay. Um, and so we still don't know whether Serie B is going to have, it looks like it is going to have 22 teams. I personally would have been tempted, I think Serie B even, the, the kind of um, officials that said it'd be suggested a 20, 20 division, a 20 side division this year, which I think financially makes more sense because you don't want to get into a situation where you're promoting teams who aren't financially ready to compete in said it'd be because that helps nobody. Um, but yeah, the problem is, is there going to be the trickle down effect at the moment? Clearly not. And I don't know in Italy whether a system of parachute payments exists like it does in the UK for relegated clubs um, from the certain leagues. Um, this is the problem, is that there's a huge disparity between, yes, OK, it's all very well if Serie A is getting the glitz and glamour back. Um, but as I've seen a number of people point out on Twitter who follow the lower leagues, and some TGU writers as well, mm. like Mark Neal, Kevin Nolan, um, Jeremy Bowling, the, the Bari fan, you know, everyone's forgetting about the, the Italian lower leagues, the kind of lifeblood of Italian football. And if that's not functioning well, then we're kind of living in a, it, it's, it's, a ceiling, it's a glass ceiling, really, and there's no 
there's no to work with the haves and the have-nots. Exactly. Like it goes back to where you, how you presented the issue to start with, Richard. The haves and the have-nots is a brilliant way of putting it. So I think that's one just to think about as well in terms of the chaos. Serie B is very reflective of where Italian football is at at the moment. Yeah, I think you make a good point there about the league because I think you know initially when um, when the uh, league appealed to to have have the uh, number of teams reduced to twenty. Um, that would have been a very quick solution to a very complex problem, which is going on at the moment. Um, but but by you know with the FIGC, um, you know, instantly rejecting that um, has you know opened up a legal minefield, really. Um, and we're now in a situation where it's you know going through courts and appeals and stuff like that. I mean, you've got Navarra, like you say, Navarra and Catania, now in in pole position to take those places because they've pointed out that you know Tanana and Provacelli have you know. Broke, you know, they've broken sanctions and 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 uh, you know defaulted on payments to players and stuff over the last three years, and in the technicalities that rules them out of um, being involved in the the repa uh, repa charge. Um, so you know it's a it's a difficult situation, and then you've got Siena waiting on in the wings as well to see what happens because um, uh, they were in with a shout as well. Um, I think the the case with um, Avellino is still going through the courts as well, and like you say, we're we're we know we're on the. You know, right on the eve of the new season, and the, this is just all, all all going on. I think by by streamlining the league to twenty, it may have you know made everything a bit easier, and may have given the the second tier a chance to you know sort itself out. Um, fewer teams, you know, logistically costs, everything like that could have been streamlined, and maybe would have been a chance to to start again at the same time as we've got all this money coming in at the top level, but. You know, it's it's gonna it's gonna go on and on and on, and I think that's gonna be a, a big debate over the next probably and, you know year. And I think I think that's probably you know not only where we should leave off today, but also where should we pick up next time? Almost like a part one of two, because these issues we have got the start of the city our season. You know, the world is changing with that, um, and the issues with the lower leagues will, will continue to rumble on way deep into the season. It seems as well, and also you know we can also touch base about how we are consuming our football in a couple of weeks' time and uh, what our experiences of are that. So, without further ado, thank you guys. Thank you both for, for coming on. And I'm going to say ciao to you both. Mm-hmm.